Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is episode number 40 with our guest, Miha Matlievsky. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. How do you feel about the word failure? How do you view personal failure? Do you get down and beat yourself up for a period of time? Or do you do what's necessary to see it for exactly what it is, learn from it, and pick yourself up? You know all the quotes about failure being an integral part of success, right? And you know all the famous success stories that contain a tremendous amount of failure before reaching that pinnacle of success. Our guest today is absolutely no exception. Get this, at 30 years old, he found himself with four successful businesses and a personal net worth of $15 million. But one phone call, one phone call from his bank that decided to foreclose on his real estate investments had his world crashing around him. He was left with $5 million in debt that he found himself responsible for. What would you do? Well, we're going to find out all of this and found, find out exactly what he did. Today, he's a very successful entrepreneur doing this for over 20 years, bringing several businesses to multiple seven and eight figures since he's been around the block many times. He now helps many start their companies, grow their companies, scale them, find funding, sell them, plan an exit strategy, all of that. He is known as the fail coach. I love that. The fail coach and helps entrepreneurs around the world embrace and have a healthy relationship with failure. Can you imagine that? Having a healthy relationship with failure with the goal of reaching a higher level of success. If you listening are afraid to fail or resist failing, or have a difficult time understanding your own failure, this episode is for you. Let's welcome our guest right to the show. It's Miha Matlievsky. What's going on, Miha? Hey there, Josh. And uh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me into your show. 
And uh, wow, what a lovely intro. Um, I'm guessing this will be my uh, new number one favorite podcast interview. Oh, well, absolute pleasure to, to have you, to see you, and to hear that. Um, that'll be my goal, to have this be your absolute favorite podcast guest interview. So let's dive right in. You, are, um, you were born and raised in Slovenia, right? And yes. today you're living where? Today I'm living in Serbia. So for the past year and a few months, I'm living in Serbia, which is, uh, well, if your audience is a tad bit older, they might remember uh, a country that used to be called Yugoslavia, uh, which was a communist socialist country uh, that divided in 91 with uh, a bit of a war. Uh, well, for Slovenia, it was a bit for for some other republics, it was uh, quite a heavy war at that time. Uh, but yeah, Slovenia and Serbia, they're both part of ex-Yugoslavia. From your point of view, how is life living in Serbia? Oh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I love it here. Uh, it, it's, for me, it's so much better than, than Slovenia. Uh, the energy is amazing. People are more friendly. The weather is so much better. I can't remember the last time when we had rain and, and fog. And in Slovenia, it's foggy every single day. Slovenia has very uh, London, UK-like weather. Uh, and, and Serbia is almost like California uh, compared to, to Slovenia. And, and, and the life here is so amazingly cheap. You can't, you can't believe it. Like, I mean, it, I, I struggle how to spend 200 bucks a month. Uh, it, it's almost impossible. And, you know, like uh, there are like um, this city where I live, Novi Sad, is about 250,000 people. And you have like probably 20 fresh markets where local farmers go to sell their uh, uh what they've grown and uh everything is naturally organic because they don't have the money you know to use all that pesticides and all of that so basically whatever you buy is organic and uh and eco-friendly uh and and oh boy yeah amazingly good and and yeah, life is just so, so, so cheap here, uh, which is awesome. Sounds amazing. I love that your, your business today is called The Fail Coach. I just love that because it's, it's something you, you wouldn't expect to hear together, The Fail Coach. And, you know, hearing your story and your biography here, it makes sense. I want to get your, your take on something. I hear the phrase, fail forward often. Help me understand what exactly that means to fail forward. Um, well, I use it a lot. Um, it, it's one of the most used quotes of mine. Uh, so what I usually say is stay humble, be grateful and fail forward. And uh, the fail forward part, what it means to me is um, when you develop healthy emotional relationship with failure, because failure is just something not uh, happening the way you want it. So a mishap, if, if we say it like that. The failure part is your emotional reaction to that thing because we don't have same strong emotions towards everything that, that doesn't happen the way we want it. You know, um, maybe you're trying to make the perfect risotto and you 
add too little liquid and you know like it, it won't taste good but you know it's not something you would be hugely emotional about uh, if you're not making that for a nice date of yours um so so it, the reaction is not so strong so you just you know say okay i failed next time i'll add more liquid and that's it um but when we react with huge negative emotions that's what is failure and, and and when you develop that healthy relationship when you see that failure for what it really is a opportunity for you to grow and and basically you are one step closer to success if you approach it the right way if you learn from it and grow from it and and so when you do that you are constantly failing forward because you are not like when 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 you have negative emotions what happens most of the time is you either spend way too much time rethinking that past event and and depression comes from being too much in the past or some people develop fear of failure and and then they're too much in the future thinking too much about everything connecting that with failures and so on and that's where that that's where anxiety comes from so um failing forward means that you spent in the past just as much as it's needed for you to learn to grow and then move on it makes so much sense now thank you for putting that into perspective i get it because like i've said failure is absolutely part of our existence part of our journey very big part of our success and i love the risotto um example you gave so what i'm hearing is that in 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 that sort of situation you might not be as emotionally invested in the outcome per se but if if your business is on the line or dare i say your ego is on the line isn't that really what comes into play and is the goal then having a somewhat maybe the word is neutral of a reaction so you're not so uh, aggravated and negatively affected by any failure well one of the most important things when i work with entrepreneurs is uh we need to learn how to let go of ego um another thing is we need to let go of expectations uh meaning you focusing on the desired outcome because that's most of the time completely out of your uh uh so you you can't control it out of your control uh because if your potential client says no um, you you don't have anything to do uh, with that per se. So what I make them focus on is focus on the process, learn from the process, uh, apply metrics to what they're doing to the actions so that we can always see whether we are progressing or not, and then polish the process to the point where it creates results. I mean, honestly, we live in a world well, world where just anything can become successful i mean the more stupid the idea is the likelihood of that being a success is is i guess even bigger than when you're trying to do something just normal uh i mean you know just go to fiverr there is a guy there like 60 70 something i wouldn't even know but a friend of mine bought a video from him and posted it on my timeline for my birthday and the guy he looks like a father christmas you know, with, with the beard and all white and everything. And he just picks up a banana, puts it 
to his ear, like almost like a phone, and, and says, happy birthday, Miha. Uh, I don't know, like, we wish you happy birthday today. The guy charges, I think, 20 bucks for that 20-second video, and he has multiple thousands of positive reviews and you can't review somebody if you didn't buy from it so just multiply that i mean those are like multiple five figures there from a simple stupid video with a banana you know so it, it's not about you know like too many people focus on will i be successful will people want to buy this service or this product people buy everything when you just apply the right niche with and, and you figure out the the pain point that you are you are serving and the desire that you're bringing whether that's laughter or or uh you know something beneficial or something healing or whatever but it's always um what i like to call about some uh just uh, basic business principles, you know, like just the way you can't defy gravity, um, you can't defy basic business principles. And, and you just need to do the proper business development. You need to go through five or six steps. When you nail those five or six steps, you will have a successful business. And, and then it's just about polishing the process so that you shorten the client journey, that you shorten the delivery journey, and things like that. I have found that in my past, where I spent decades living embraced by fear and anxiety, my own failure would almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I would uh, think, okay, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm quite certain that nobody's going to like it or it's not going to work out. And then I would, and I would say, you see, I failed. Do you find that to be the case with many people? Um, yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times, they already like predefined um, and, and, and almost in a way lower the expectations so that they won't be hurt. But again, if you focus on the process and not on the outcome, you eliminate that part. I mean, it's not something that you just wake up one day and bam, suddenly, you know, you, you, you don't focus anymore on the outcome. Uh, I mean, even after practicing this for so long, I still sometimes find myself, you know, uh, wishing for something and not just being focused on, on the process. And, but, you know, like another thing is being mindful, not mindful meditation. I mean, that one is perfect, but being mindful throughout the whole day, being mindful. Uh, I, I think I can honestly say that I'm mindful about 90% of the day. Um, so meaning I don't go on autopilot and I recognize when I'm not aligned with how I should approach uh, business or how I should approach different parts of my life. And, and I can you know, reset myself quite quickly and focus, refocus back on the process. What is the, how do we overcome something like, because I know that this was uh, my issue in my, in my decades of fear and anxiety, that I would, I would approach something, fail, quote unquote, fail at it, and then feel miserable about how it's going to make me look 
in front of everybody else, whether it's my intended audience or my loved ones or my friends. And that really became why I beat myself up over the failure. How do you overcome something like that? Well, I mean, if you would done proper business development, you wouldn't even fail because you would either figure out that, you know, it's not worth pursuing um, or you would find the right fit because you need to know who you are serving. You need to know what you're serving them with, whether that's a podcast, whether that's being a coach or, I mean, even just reselling batteries for remote control. Your audience has a problem. They can't control their TV. You're bringing them the solution. Now they will have batteries. Why do we choose Energizer? Why do we choose Varta? Why do we choose Duracell? Because we trust a certain brand. And, you know, client journey, it's all about know, like, and trust. Have you mapped out that journey? Were you trying to pushing it too fast? You know, skip the like part and just go from no to trust. It can't be done that way. I mean, as you grow, as your brand grows, that automatically shortens the journey. But when you just start out, the journey takes longer. And would you have done the proper business development? And this is what I mostly do with people. I guide them through the business development and we go step by step through each of the 12 parts in the business development, you know, from niche or target audience or however you like to call them. And then the problem, solution equals product, business model, uh, unique value proposition. Because when they ask you, why you? Why would I buy from you? Do you have an answer? You know, what, why, why would you be any different? And then understanding marketing. Emotions are always higher on the ladder than logic. So you, but you can't solve a logical problem with emotions or emotion, especially emotional problem with something logical. You know, um, I see so many fitness coaches and, and they try to, you know, tell you about the, how many pounds you will lose. I was obese all my life. I just recently in the last year or so lost roughly around 120, 30 pounds. Nice. And I still have like 30 to lose, but you know, like um, the emotions that were within me, the pains, the struggles and the desires, they have nothing to do with those numbers. It's, you know, how people see you, how you see yourself. It, it was about, can I bend down and, and tie my shoes? Um, when I go to the store to, to buy new jeans and nothing fits me anymore. I love Levi brand. And they don't make that size and things like that. And, you know, um, those are the emotions. And if you offer an emotional solution to my emotional problems, I'm A, more likely to buy and B, I will give you more money. And that's how you create premium brands. Otherwise, you're just a Walmart mm. fighting for whoever will like, you know, or, or doing a Groupon thing. When, you know, you just always find people who are always searching for uh, next thing where they will save money. But if you want to position yourself as a premium brand, I mean, study ski, um, Steve Jobs and his keynotes when he was still alive. Just look at those and then go to YouTube and find the ones from Samsung. 
Steve Jobs never ever mentioned megapixels or, or this many gigabytes or this or that. You have enough storage for all your family pictures. And he was far away from being his own uh, ideal client. But he was always emphasizing on family values and families being together. Because, you know, in the U.S. and in Canada, uh, that's something that doesn't happen in Europe so much, uh, where we usually live very close to our parents, if not even in the same house. But in U.S. and in Canada, you know, usually you go to college in another state and then you, you find somebody there. And, and it's, very, uh, uh, it's very often that families live in different states. So connecting that, bridging that gap with the photos and this and that, that, that was his keynote. And Samsung, Samsung was just about the pixels and, and the gigabytes and this and that. And then I know that I read this a few years ago. I can't remember where, but I know that Apple had 10% of all the uh, smartphone market, just 10% but they were making 98% of all the profits in the smartphone market. Just 2% went to everybody else. Why? Because Samsung was making 30 different phones and they just had the one. You know, it was four and then 4S and then five and then 5S. Now they have three phones and this and that, but at that time they just had one phone. And, and so, you know, you buy everything in bulk. Of course, you get everything cheaper. Your production is cheaper, and, and that's why you make bigger margins. But what they did, they did really good emotional business development. And their whole content marketing and marketing was based on emotions. Study Steve Jobs. He was a magician at delivering the what I call hero stories. I love all of that. Thank you for, for sharing that and going down that line. I want to I, I fill in the gaps here and get to know you to see how, how you achieved and then lost and then reachieved everything in your life. Take us back to the very beginning, if you will. Miha, as a young boy growing up in Slovenia, paint that picture, please. What was family life like as a young boy? Well, at that point, it was still Yugoslavia. So one thing, if you live in a socialist, communist country, is nobody has much. Uh, because that, that was how the whole system worked, you know. Uh, but I was the only child. So, and we were living together with my uh, grandparents from my mother's side. So there were four people in the household living solely for me. All the money that were, they were making went to Miha. The only and child. So, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember distinctly, like back then, it, it was almost impossible to get, you know, like Levi's uh, and, and, and uh, what's that brand? Uh, you know, those yellow shoes. Um, I don't know. So yeah, like the big brands or Nike or Adidas or things like that. Um, it, it was almost impossible. You had to go abroad to buy them. Um, and Slovenia was bordering with Italy and Austria. And so, yeah, we would drive there and they would buy me all that stuff. And I was the only one in my elementary school with things like that. I had my first computer when I was four or five years old. 
it was you know the spectrum or, or what was it called and then the commodore and and, and so yep. on i was the first one by by i don't know i think my my um uh, the other children got their first ones when they were like, you know, 14, 15 years old. And I had one with four years, I think. Um, so I, I had this perfect childhood. Perfect. I, I never had to do anything. Like never cleaned the house. I didn't even know what the vacuum cleaner is because my mom, every Saturday, she would say to my dad, take me her you know, to zoo or this or that while I'm cleaning the house so that you're not here, I will be done much quicker and so on. I mean, honest to God, I, I haven't said this in, in any interview, but I often tell this in conferences. So in the evening, when before going to bed, I would take off my clothes and just not even pick them up, but, you know, like just sh uh, shoot them out with my, with my leg, with my foot in front of the, the, the door, close the door, and in the morning, they were magically not there. You know, like, honest to I God, have, that, I, that was my life. I have a five-year-old daughter, so I, I, I get that, and a three-year-old son, I understand that. Go ahead, so you would just kick off your clothes, throw them on the floor, and miraculously, they'd be, yeah. they'd be cleaned up in the morning. Go ahead. Yeah. And then, uh, and then um, I went to high school. So in Slovenia, you go to high school with 15. And after three years, because it's five year high school, after three years, I flunked because of Italian language. Um, because the teacher just didn't like me the way I was, you know, all cocky and, you know, um, I can do anything that I want, you know, like I have the support of my father and mother and so on. So I was really that obnoxious kid and and she really hated that i mean my italian was really good it still is uh but uh yeah she just flanked me and i said well why would i go back to school and and just repeat this year when i can go and work for my father's company what did your uh, parents i'm sorry at that time though when you flunked out and i i i get the environment everything for adults uh, parents and grandparents all serving miha but now when you flunked out of high school did your parents still support that in every way um yeah my father never really cared about the school so he was always even more rooting for me when I was, you know, like, oh, no, I'm not going to, you know, um, learn from this exam just because that teacher hates me and things like that. So he was very anti-school system. Um, and my mom, you know, like my mom was just, as long as I'm okay, and as long as, you know, I'm happy and all of that, like she can handle anything as long as her sweet boy is, is perfectly fine. So what did you do after dropping after getting kicked out of high school? You said you went to work with your father and his business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a company. My mom was working in a bank, but my father had a semi-successful small business with a few employees. So not nothing too huge, uh, but you know, making good money, uh, uh, quite above the average uh, in Slovenia. So we had a. Uh, let's say the higher middle class uh, standard or something like that. Um, and uh, there I just continued to be sunned by occupation. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed 
sales. I really enjoyed uh, networking, connecting with people, and that was about it. So nothing else interested me about the company, running the company, this or that. I just enjoyed doing a few calls, getting a few sales done, and, and, and that was it. This was something that I truly <laughs> was passionate about, if you can imagine. Did you have any, at that point, did you have any aspirations in, turn, in, in, in terms of what you wanted to do in your future? Or were you just day by day, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm in the family business right now? Um, my, my everyday goal was to just, you know, go party in the evening. Tell me more, Miha. What did that look like? What kind of partying are we really talking about here? Oh, I mean, um, so I was always scared of drugs. I never did drugs. I think in all my life, I probably tried uh, smoking marijuana maybe just a few times. Um, and I never tried any other drug uh, other than that. Uh, so I don't know. I just was scared, you know, like, oh, what if I like that? Um, and so it was mostly alcohol, a lot of alcohol and just, I, I love dancing. So, um, it was just, you know, any kind like, uh, salsa parties, uh, or hip hop or I don't know, whatever came like it was six days a week because the only day there were no parties was on a Sunday evening. And at that time, we would just hang out with friends and get uh, a bit drunk from beer or something like that. Um, so I was probably um, drinking seven days a week and then partying six days a week. What a life. So 18, uh, in the family business, what happens next? Well, everything was going really well for me. I would uh, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, when I was 23, um, suddenly my father died. Um, he, he had pancreatic cancer and the whole thing happened in, in about three weeks. So three one weeks? day, yeah, one day uh, he felt a bit of pain in his stomach. Um, he asked me to buy, you know, some uh, pills for, uh, you know, that acid reflux. Um, I, I went to the pharmacy, bought it, took it to home to give it to him. And then next day, my mom calls me and says, can you come pick him up? He's really not feeling well. Just take him to the ER. Uh, we went there. Uh, they said, okay, we'll keep him overnight. In the morning, when I came back to, to take him back home, uh, they said, no, we're keeping him in. Uh, he has cancer. And then three weeks later, so first week, he was still conscious. And then they put him on, on this Morpheus pills. Um, and, and then two more weeks. And at the end of August, uh, he, he, he died. He passed away. And suddenly, I had to take over uh, the family business, having no clue other than how to party hard. Um, and uh, yeah, it was welcome to the adulthood. And I was so... So, so unprepared for that. My goodness. I, 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 just, I, I just can't imagine that, that very, very quick, quick period. My goodness. So now you're, I mean, you're left to process a lot. So how do you, how do you step up? How do you step in? Um, I mean, that, that was easy. I mean, for me, it was, you know, 
never a question whether I do that or not. Uh, like I, I felt that that's what I need to do. Um, that that's the only normal way how you do it um, is to step up. Um, the problem was that all my life, all my perfect childhood, I was constantly listening how amazing I am and how smart I am and how better I am than anybody else. And uh, suddenly you find out that you are not. Um, but it, it, it didn't came as a realization. That happened many, many years later. Uh, at that point, I was actually thinking that I'm so good. So why would I hire a consultant? Why would I, like the smartest move would be to just find the CEO keep doing what I was good at, which was sales, hand over the company to the CEO and just do it that way. But no, um, you know, naturally, of course, if I'm this amazing, brilliant person, I could handle it. And, and that's how I went about it. And, and, and then um, at that point, um, the economy in Europe was really going strong. Um, Looking back now, I can't remember a single company going bankrupt at that time. I mean, it was literally you are walking next to the bank and they start throwing money at you. <laughs> no, it was that, that way. I mean, any, any building that was built was pre-sold when, when you got the permit. You, you started selling and within a few days, everything was sold. People were baiting in money. But to me, at that time, I thought, oh, my God, I'm so great, you know, like, I can't do anything wrong. While I was making a lot of stupid mistakes along the way, you know, like, why would I hire a lawyer to go through the contracts if I can just read them? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. So, of course, I can understand all that, um, you know, uh, law language. Yeah, I love um, yeah and, and just things like that. And so, yeah. Uh, at one point, because I had uh, partners in one of the companies um, and I wanted to sell that off, so we did a due diligence and that was at the beginning of 2009 and uh, because everything was so interconnected with me because you know uh, I didn't have anybody to tell me about holding companies and this and that, so I was just exposed here and there and everywhere. So when the, the due diligence was done, they actually had to do due diligence on my personal network as well. That's how I know that my personal network at that time was roughly 15 million US. I mean, it was 12.5 million euros, but you know that's roughly 15 million US. Um, and then suddenly the crisis came. So in 2008 in US, but Eastern Europe was hit later, and that was roughly September 2009. And that's where things started to, you know, really expose all the, all, all the stupid things that I've done during all these past few years. Uh, and then one day, it was Monday, uh, December 7th, 2009, in the morning, uh, I got a call from the bank. And uh, so they were financing one of my real estate projects. It was roughly around 50 million US project. Mm. And uh, I had 100% financing from the bank. Um, and they said, we are moving out of this uh, because there is no way that you can sell 
even at the price that this will be built, the prices are lower now than what your cost, because I bought the land and everything when the prices were really high and then add the construction cost and all of that. And I came to more than what people were ready to pay for per square meter or per uh, square feet uh, at, at that time. So um, they just closed that. But because I had the 100% financing, I had to sign personally and all my other companies to get that loan. And they just started bankrupting everything to get as much money back as they could. And what that did was even in my other healthy companies or healthier companies, um, they would block the accounts. So I was unable to pay the last paycheck. I was unable to pay the taxes, things like that. And, and, you know, I was, uh, all my companies went bankrupt, I, but I was still left with 5 million personal debt that I needed to repay back. Not so much to that bank because they took a lot of money from everything else, but to what felt at that time, half of the country. I was owing like every, you know, like so many people um, uh, from my other companies, the employees and so on. Um, and because, uh, because I was not able to pay the taxes and because the paychecks were not paid, that in Europe is a no-no when you try to file for a personal bankruptcy. It's immediately, uh, you, uh, they tell you, you can't do it. Uh, so I was unable to file for that. Um, and yeah, I had to repay the whole thing. And of course I had no money. Um, and I only repaid that in 2015 when I exited my last startup, uh, which is what, six, six years, uh, uh, later. Um, and at the end it all accumulated to almost 7 million US dollars with all the interests and, and the lawsuits and this and that. So in the end, I, I repaid almost 7 million US dollars with the last startup. Wow. So, okay. Miha is on top of the world, much of your life, because you were, you were told you're the greatest thing. You can do anything, go get them. And you felt that way. And you lived that life. You took over the family business, had some businesses of your own, amassed this empire and that Monday morning in 2009, you had one phone call from the bank that pulled, literally pulled the rug out from under you. What, yes. What in the world is, you hang up that phone. What is, what could possibly be going through your head the minute you hang up the phone? How do you make sense of this and move step one? Um, you don't. Um, so for the first few weeks, I was living a complete denial. Uh, I can handle it. I'll find another bank. I'll, I'll figure something out. I will find an investor. Like I had gazillions ideas, uh, but it was in the middle of the hardest of the crisis. I mean, every morning, all the financial newspapers would be painted black on the cover page. It was almost like, you know, reading the, you know, when some people die, how, how is that called? Uh, the obituary. Yeah, yeah, the obituaries. Um, but yeah, for the first few weeks, I had this idea that I'm somehow magically going to solve this because, you know, that's what I do. I'm that good. 
Um, and, and then as the time passed by and, and the domino effect got all the companies down and, and, and every single day the situation was less solvable. I mean, it wasn't solvable from day one, but you know, in my head, I started realizing that. And, and then at one point it all flipped into just depression, anxiety, um, uh, just seeing darkness, um, not having any dreams, any goals. Um, you know, just, just this, I remember I was at home lying on the couch, you know, like curled up like that baby position. Uh, and, and I, my head was just like a nuclear reactor, everything going through. And, and the biggest problem at that time was that I saw later on was that I was blaming everything, the negative on everybody else and everything else. It was the crisis. It was my business partners. It was my employees, the bank, the this, the that. So everybody else was to blame. I was, you know, so the good things were my fault and the bad things were not my fault. Um, that, that, that's a very, very important part there. Um, and from every single day onto another one, you know, like I would wake up in the morning to phone calls from people I owed money to, and those were not anything close to nice phone calls. Like, you know, it was not, Oh, we're going to sue you, but it, it was, you know, like we'll kill you. We'll break your legs. We'll do this. We'll do that. So, um, from the start of the morning, I would be bam, depression, bam, nuclear reactor in my head. And uh, so that just got worse and worse and worse. And, and as the days passed, I had no idea what I'm going to do. I saw no solutions. Um, I, I, I suddenly, you know, I was like, uh, I distinctly remember a friend of mine called me and uh, invited me to his birthday party two or three weeks forward from that day. And I wasn't able to reply um, because I honestly, at that point, didn't know if I'm going to be alive two weeks from that point. Uh, and, and that's where the whole idea of suicide started creeping in. Um, and it was so welcoming, so inviting because the idea was everything will be quiet everything will be just silence. And, and I was craving that silence in my head. No phone calls, no nothing, you know? Okay, I didn't have any phone calls during the weekend, but it was like Friday afternoon, a little bit of happiness that maybe an hour later was changed by how can I stretch time? How can I stop time until Monday morning? when the phone calls will begin again. So I didn't even enjoy the weekends. I was just figuring out a way to not go to sleep because, you know, you go to sleep, bam, you wake up, eight hours passed. So I would just wait until I would crash on, on my computer desk um, and, and, and then just trying to magically prolong the, that weekend. Um, and, and so, yeah, one day, one evening, it was around 11 p.m., I was smoking my last cigarette on the balcony, fifth floor, and just a few days before my, my apartment uh, 
would get impounded as well. Um, and I started climbing on the other side, looking down. And, and the only thing at that point was going through my head was, can I do this right? Or will I, I don't know, end up on a wheelchair? You know, like that was what was really happening. And then the next thing was, I, I, my mom came to my mind. And the thing was that she signed a few things for me. So a certain part of that debt would go to her, a bank clerk. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't so much about her, but I was just so angry at myself. And I said it first time ever. I said, you failed. Mika, you F failed. And, 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 the moment I said it, I heard the word you. And, and it was like really just, you know, I never believed in those epiphanies and, and moments like that. And, but, you know, like that happened to me. In that single moment, everything became clear. It was not other people's fault. I made those bad decisions. I was too cocky. I wasn't humble. I wasn't grateful for what I have. I was always just striving for more and more and more. That's not a bad thing, but I was never grateful for what I have. I was never enjoying anything. Um, and most of all, it was all my fault. And at that point, everything changed. It was the first time I, I took life with the pluses and the minuses into my own hands. And um, I climbed back, I went back, I went in, uh, sat at, at the table and just wrote, wrote, wrote. A huge to-do list of everything I need to learn, change, um, you know, just a huge to-do list. And the first thing that I did in the morning, I started calling people. I started calling them and I said to all of them, you know what? You, you were threatening me with all those things. If me dying will make you happy, then just come here and do it. I honestly don't care anymore. But if you want your money back, then I need time. I need space. I need that peace and quiet. Let's make a deal. I'll call you once a month, give you an update, but leave me alone because I can't just find a job and repay all that money. It would take me a few hundred years. Uh, I need to create something amazing. I need to create a new empire. And I, I can do it because if I was able to do all that with all the mistakes, if I correct them now, I can do even bigger things. And, and it took me three, three and a half years of going through a whole lot of personal development, business development. Uh, but then in 2014, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2014, I created a startup, energy efficiency startup, which means helping big corporations save on how much electricity and gas they use. Um, and uh, I was able to scale that company to multiple eight figures a month, so to $48 million in monthly revenue in just 10 months. Uh, and, and then uh, in 2015, it was acquired by uh, uh, a Fortune 100 company. 
Um, I can't say too much because it was like a technological takeover. I had to sign a huge NDA and so on. So I'd rather not go too much into details, but I was able to do an exit and just walk away. Uh, my, my partner at that time, because he was, um, so his ego meant so much to him that he had to be known that he created this and that he was locked in for, for, for 10 years. He's locked in, and now he went from being a, a co-owner to now being just a middle manager employee of a huge-ass corporation, and, 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 and he needs to work there because of his ego. And I, I did it correctly. I was able to walk away. Of course, with all the money, the first thing was repaying all what I had to repay. I did that successfully. Um, I was left with a bit more, not too much. But at that point, you know, honestly, I saw the opportunity. It would be finally getting uh, everything repaid. And I just said yes to it. And, you know, I, I just knew that I can always make more money. Uh, and, and, and then uh, I first went for, let's say, a longer vacation. I mean, I didn't go so much somewhere, but it was, I just took time off. But after about three months of um, not doing much, I started craving talking to entrepreneurs. And I just went to a local startup incubator and I said, can I please volunteer? Can I mentor somebody? Can I, you know, like do uh, a meetup or something? I need this. And, and so I discovered that my huge, huge, huge passion is helping fellow entrepreneurs. Uh, I mean, I could be doing work for corporations and they would pay me a hundred times more, but my passion is entrepreneurs. I've been an entrepreneur for all my adult life. Uh, I don't even know how to talk that corporate talk. Uh, and, and, and the second thing is while I became obsessed with failure, uh, obsessed in a way of studying it, I discovered that fear of failure is the number one dream killer for entrepreneurs. And that failure is the number one reason why entrepreneurs commit suicide. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why failure is such a huge part of what I do. And, and, and the name Fail Coach, because that's how I named my company, Fail Coach LLC, uh, actually came when I was having a beer with a friend and uh, he was uh, thinking of all the different brand names and he was like, well, you learned everything from failure. Why wouldn't you be a fail coach? And every single branding expert and marketing expert told me not to go that way. They said, uh, people want a success coach. They don't want a fail coach. You know what? Once people understand what I'm doing and what this is all about and how they can actually connect, not with the bling bling, not with the Lambos and Ferraris, but with somebody who failed harder than they did and was able to bounce back. Uh, that's what motivates them. That's what inspires them. And so uh, I never looked back on choosing that name. Uh, and yeah, uh, I've had quite a monologue so far. <laughs> I love it. Miha, my man, so much. First, again, thank you for opening up and for discussing all of that emotion and that journey so much there i'm scribbling notes first of all the minute i heard fail coach i'm like wow i love that nailed it it makes so much great sense which in and of itself is fantastic marketing and 
in and of itself will attract the right people who you're meant to attract. I want to go back and just unravel some of the things you said when you were in your, your deepest, darkest moments there on the couch. Um, and then you had that realization that you said, Miha, you effing failed. And that was the light. That was the embrace. And you said, you know what? It's all my fault. Uh, everything good is my fault. Everything bad is my fault. And I love that so much because um, there's uh, Tom Bilyeu, who uh, founder of Impact Theory, I follow online. One of his, as he says, one of his most controversial blog posts is when he talks about that he says, it's all my fault. And when people hear that, they take it in so many ways that they resist it. But like you, he's saying the same exact thing. No, embrace the fact that everything good and bad is my fault, my doing, my responsibility. That's when you win. And that was the turning point for you. Yeah, I mean, that's so our brain works in mysterious ways. But the thing is, if you try to put something on something else, something outside of you, you immediately say to your brain, you can't do anything right now because somebody else or something else needs to happen before we kick up a notch. But if, if you just say, if you just own everything that you do, you are in that proactive state of mind and you can always do something. If it's the government, well, you can't do anything until the next elections. If it's, if it's your business partner where, um, you know, yeah, you can, you can divorce your business partner, but usually, you know, that's a hard thing to do. And, and then you're just waiting for somebody else to do his part. I always say to people, um, respect everyone, wait for no one. It's your life. It's your dreams, your goals. You need to do what you need to do to achieve that. Even if somebody volunteer, even, even if you, know, you hire somebody and they don't deliver, it's you who are responsible. You can fire them. You can find somebody new. You can do better pre-qualification. You can do better screening before. It's all you. Because if you take that, uh, if you approach it that way, you actually signal to your brain, stay proactive. You are driving your life and it's not everything else driving you. Looking back on your life, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was asked this quite a lot of times, it, not in the same sense, but it was, you know, if you could go back in time, uh, what would you say to yourself to change something? And, and, and my first idea was, of course, yeah, uh, I would say to myself, go buy Bitcoin or go buy Apple shares when they were at a very low price. Uh, but after a bit of thinking, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, like just, I would leave it the way it was. Because I honestly love who I am today, what I do today, how my life is. I'm not living the blink blink life. I don't have the Lambos and this and that, but I'm free. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I'm truly living my passion uh, and, 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 you know, just living my, 
dream life. Um, and, and I wouldn't change that for, for anything. And uh, that wouldn't happen if everything that happened to me uh, would, would uh, you know, not happen. Yeah, now this doesn't make too much sense. but No, yeah. it makes exact sense. That's such a, a wonderful outlook and so true. So incredible that everything you've been through, you're here today saying, I love my life. I wouldn't change a thing. With that, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Well, I, I'm not sure, but I think yes. I think I had to learn all those lessons. And I think we, I mean, at, in the end, it comes to whether you are humble enough to recognize that there is a lesson waiting for you in, when something goes wrong, or you are stubborn enough and, and you don't learn anything. And then life will test you bit by bit, bit by bit, until one day it will test you to the, to the end. And, and drive you to the point of either you commit a suicide or you, you, you somehow uh, break free from that and, 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 and uh, change and start living the life it, it was supposed to be. What mantra do you live by today? Um, well, the one I mentioned already, uh, stay humble, be grateful, and fail forward. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? Um, religious in a common sense, no. I, I hate all the uh, Christianity and Muslims and, and all of that because of all they have done and, and all the negativity that I see in, in a religion. But I do believe in, 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 in certain energies. And I would say that, yes, I am spiritual. Um, I'm just, yeah, not, not a fan of uh, religion as an institution. I mean, with everything that we see with all this happening with young children and, and, and you know, in the name of this, in the name of that, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I can't believe that, uh, you know, um, I, I can't fall for that. I, I just can't. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? I, I don't really care. This is something, this is something that I've learned from uh, Zen Buddhism. This is the religion that kind of, if I would need to choose one, I would choose that one. And, and the one thing that I love about it, I mean, I hope I, I got it right, is that they don't believe in bef you know, lives before or lives after. They actually say, this is the life you have live it so just enjoy this life um you know live the way that will make you happy that will fulfill you try to do as much good as you can and all of because we don't know what will be after but we have this life and and we better use it well and one thing that I see so often is that many, many people or majority of people, they fear death, but they live like they will live forever. In a way, next Monday, next month, next year, instead of living the life, 
And, and, and you know, when, when you live life, you don't fear death anymore because you're living a fulfilled life. And, you know, you, you, can't, you, you don't have regrets over the things you can't do, but you live the way that you don't have the regrets over the things that you can do. I will leave you with this final question. How would you, Miha, like to be remembered? Oh, uh, that one's easy. Uh, I want to be the one who broke the taboo called failure. And a few years ago, everybody was laughing at me. And then soon, uh, when they saw that I was in a few conferences and this and then, uh, suddenly a, a, a bit more people started believing that that's actually possible. And uh, I mean, it's not something that will happen very quickly, but uh, yeah, that's actually uh, the mission of everything that I do. I want to help people establish healthy relationship with failure. And by doing that, we will be able to talk and speak about failures. And, you know, um, if you look at sex, 30, 40 years ago, it was a huge, huge, huge taboo. And now today you go to a McDonald's and, you know, like every second person is talking something sex related. And that got me thinking, like, how did we break that taboo? And it was by talking about it. And that's what I try to do. I try to go on podcasts. I try to go on stages. I try to use my story as a tool for other people to open up and they start talking about it. That's, you know, I mentioned to you my Failures Anonymous project and the interviews I'm doing with uh, people who are freely talking about not just the numbers and this and that, but the emotions, the self-talk, the important stuff behind it. And um, yeah, every, every single day I try to do as much as I can so that we talk more and more about failure and not just, you know, naming the failures. Oh, I dropped out. I did this. I wasn't accepted there, but the emotions behind it, the negative self-talk. Um, and, uh, yeah, one day I want to be the one who broke the taboo called failure. Such a fascinating mission, uh, especially when it's, when you hear it like that, to break the taboo around failure, because there absolutely is, which it, it almost seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but if whether it's big or small in my personal life or business, if I, if I, I mean, really, let me see how I can break this down. On some level, we're all, we're all failing constantly, right? In, in little things and in insignificant things and middle things and big things and family and business. But isn't it about how we personally identify or define it versus how we think others are going to or if, or if a business partner or my wife looks from the outside looking in and says, oh, well, you failed at that. I mean, somebody doesn't have the right to define my failure, right? I'm onto something there. Yeah, but that's just, you know, what most people do. Because it's so much easier to be, uh, um, you know, looking what others people do and then, you know, defining that as, oh, you failed and pointing in them. Because the hardest battle that we all have to do 
is the battle with ourselves. But you know, it's so much easier to help others. It's so much easier to focus on others. It's so much easier to put down others. Um, because the hardest thing is to look at yourself in the mirror and start working there. Because that's where, that, that's, you know, and, and fighting your own inner demons, your own insecurities, your own, um, you know, how you view things happening to you and so on. But it's also the most rewarding of all the battles. Yeah, let me give you an example of um, what, I'm, what I'm thinking in terms of this very podcast, for example. So I do this per episode. This is an episode. So on the outside, uh, you know, I have this podcast launched and somebody might say, how successful is it trying to determine from the outside, is it a success or is it a failure? But really, I have 100% ability to define that, right? So I can say, well, it's an absolute success because I, I began it or I did it or I'm doing it. Oh yeah, well, how many downloads or who were your guests or how much money or any of those other parameters? Yeah, I could ask myself those same questions and say, yeah, you know what? I don't have a, I don't have a famous quote unquote name on it or I don't have a million downloads or I'm not making a million dollars from it, you know, all those things. And then I could easily label it a failure um yeah but that that would be the wrong approach correct um so the first thing is of course you should talk with others that's how we learn but uh at the end it's your decision how you will guide it how you will and how you will define it um that's completely up to you so you know if, if you're if you are content with what you have achieved that's perfectly fine we, we, we are all different. We have different dreams and different goals. That's one thing. And then the other one is, of course, you have new goals. Of course, you have more milestones to go through. And it's all about creating a solid plan and then following it through. And yeah, talking with others, yes, but not uh, in a way where they, if they can't add value to, so, you know, like to help you maybe with the steps or, or, or even brainstorming what you should do next or help you get some uh, quote-unquote famous guests onto your podcast and so on. Uh, I mean, if, they, if they're not adding value, but they're just judging and telling you, I mean, I, I, and honestly, I don't care like uh when when somebody does something like that to me like that's your opinion great you you have that opinion i know what you know like it's my life i need to drive my life respect everyone wait for no one absolutely brilliant miha Matlievsky. my goodness thank you kindly for showing up for doing you and for opening up what a conversation. What a beautiful person, Miha. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you. It's really, like I said, um, it's my story. I view it as a tool that opens other people up. And almost every time I do anything like this, interviews or things like that, people connect with me, tell me their stories. And that's what it's all about. It's not about my story. It's not about my numbers. Um, it's uh, my tool for, uh, to give voices to others. 
Absolutely beautiful. The website, which we'll link to in and around this episode, is fail.coach. Really cool domain name, by the way, since they opened up that .coach extension. Fail.coach. Uh, for all things Miha, really wonderful to have you join us, sir. I really appreciate you and your journey. And I appreciate everybody who's tuned in to this. I hope you got something out of it. If you got one little tiny thing, don't just hold on to it. Do something with it. Take one small step in the forward direction. Fail. Fail fast forward, right? That's what we've learned today. We're going to learn something new real soon. And until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.